Welcome to Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast about women's pelvic health, hosted by pelvic floor expert and physiotherapist Heba Shahid. She's on a mission to break the taboos surrounding women's pelvic health and to educate and empower women to live healthier, stronger and happier lives. In this episode, we're talking about endometriosis, a condition that affects one in 10 women and can cause significant pelvic pain, fatigue and infertility. In just a moment, Melanie, one of Heber's former clients, will be joining her in the studio to talk about her experience of living with endometriosis. So Melanie and I actually both share a similar history when it comes to endometriosis. And funnily enough, Mel and I were actually pregnant at the very same time. And we gave birth to our daughters about a week apart. Isn't that right? I know. It's amazing when you think about the story that we both went through. And when I first met you, the situation we were both in, to think we had our daughters so close and now have two beautiful girls, which we can both be so proud of. I'm so happy that we have such an amazing you know, connection and our stories are so similar and I can't wait to dive in. And we've got 16-month-old Poppy here with us in the studio. So you will be hearing a few little coos and thumps and bumps and she'll definitely be joining in on the conversation as well, as she should. So Melanie, can you tell me a bit about your history with endometriosis, how it affected you? How did you know that you had endometriosis? Sure. Well, I think for me, it goes back to pretty much my teenage years when I started my period really young um, and it was always really painful. Um, I remember my mum taking me to the GP and saying, you know, my daughter's periods are painful. They're heavy. Is this right? And she was a really good champion for me. But back then uh, in the 90s in the UK, the GPs kind of just looked at me like, well, yeah, periods hurt, gave me a prescription and we kind of moved on. Um, But it developed in my late teens and early 20s into more constant pain, which is when I really knew that there was something more serious going on and it wasn't something that I could brush aside anymore and needed investigation. For those of you listening, endometriosis is a condition that is characterized by period pain. And it's the most common symptom of endometriosis, but others can also have symptoms like fatigue. And later on in life, a lot of women also experience infertility. And just so you can understand what it is, just think about what happens during a period. Normally, the lining of the uterus will build up and it then breaks down and exits your body through your period. However, in endometriosis, what happens is there are cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus that exist in other places, inside and outside of the pelvis. So they can be on your bowels, they can be on your ovaries, on your fallopian tubes, on your bladder, and and they've even been found in other places such as on the brain and on the lungs, which is pretty crazy. And unfortunately, these cells can bleed too, similar to the lining of the uterus, but there's nowhere for these cells to leave the body. So they build up and they accumulate and they can cause a lot of inflammation, scarring, adhesions, a lot of pain in women, particularly period pain, but even other types of pain like sexual pain or pelvic pain. And in some cases, especially when you have a lot of adhesions, you can then go on to develop infertility or if the growth start on certain places like your ovaries or your fallopian tubes. So endometriosis, it's not just period pain. And a lot of women think that period pain or a lot of doctors and professionals as well can think that period pain is normal. But we know that it's not normal. And 
that it is something that needs to be addressed as soon as you have it. If you feel like you can't get out of bed, if you feel like you can't function at school, at work, at life, then it's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm so glad to hear, Mel, that you were able to get early help and that your mum was listening to you and making sure that she took you to the doctors. Yeah, my mum was great. I think when looking back at it now, my mum probably had endometriosis, but... Um, She was born in 1944 and she definitely never got a diagnosis or any form of help. Um, And I don't think she knew what endometriosis was until I was diagnosed, but she knew something was wrong. Um, And when my symptoms became really chronic, when I was probably late teens, she really sort of made sure that we didn't take no for an answer and pushed on for me to get help, which was really lucky, um, considering that she didn't really have the knowledge that you or I are really lucky to have now for our daughters. Absolutely. And I think we do need to be advocates of our own health these days, especially because there's such little known about these conditions and especially because they've been swept under the rug for so long. So we need to be our own patient advocates. And, you know, we both have daughters and it's interesting because you said your mother most likely had endometriosis. We do know that endometriosis does have a genetic component, that if you have a mother or a sister or an aunt that has endo, then it's likely that you will. And that was one of the things that I was most afraid of about having a daughter was oh my gosh, I don't want my daughter to ever have to go through what I went through. But thankfully we have that knowledge today that we can then impart a better lifestyle onto our daughters. I agree. I think before I had Poppy and when I found out I was pregnant, I kind of always hoped I had boys because I actually just didn't want them to go through the suffering that I have. Um, I knew I was having a girl once I got pregnant. I had a weird intuition, but now I feel like it's almost our duty to really try and help them and to spread the word about a condition that has been in silence for so long and make sure that our girls don't have to go through the same thing that we did. Absolutely. Can you talk a bit more about what you did go through? Did the endometriosis affect you when you were younger at school or through university or through work? Yeah, I mean, for me, my endometriosis really just caused pain that made other things difficult. So in particular, around my period, I found myself needing to take time off work, particularly in my early 20s before I was diagnosed. And before that school, I just remember periods being a really big deal. And I felt like everybody else was kind of cracking on through their periods. But for me, I genuinely felt like I just wanted to stay home. And I didn't know if that was me being really weak or not being able to tolerate pain. Um, But now I think, you know, I look back on it and obviously I was suffering a lot more. And I'm sure there were other girls at my school, you know, one in 10 women have endometriosis who are feeling exactly the same, but none of us said anything or could do anything because nobody had any idea. Um, And I definitely found myself in my early 20s in particular when I needed to take time off work. Um, which was occasional. I was really lucky. I managed to, you know, hold down a full-time job and be successful and do well through uni and school as well. But when I didn't need to take time off, I found that it would be easier to call my boss and say that I had a stomach bug or a throat infection than to try and explain the fact that I had my period and it wasn't just period pain. It really, really hurt and I actually couldn't get up or I was vomiting or lying in bed and couldn't move and because no one would have understood so I found it hard when it was flaring because honestly I just felt really alone and like I couldn't tell people what was wrong. I completely hear you I had a similar sort of experience as well I found it really difficult to talk about having a period and then that the fact that the period was limiting me that I couldn't leave the house or I couldn't you know I couldn't eat certain foods or I couldn't move the way that I wanted to And because as a physiotherapist, my job was very manual, very hands-on, you know, it was very difficult for me to 
stand up all day, having yeah. to teach classes or having to, you know, treat women while I was in agony. Um, but I, I share your frustration in not being able to talk about it. And I think that's one of the things that so many women out there also struggle with. Because, I mean, think about the workplace, right? Like, how often do we talk about having period problems in the workplace? And how awkward would it be for a lot of women to actually have that conversation with their manager or with their employer? It would be so awkward. And I think everybody has a period. So you do innately, until you understand that yours are really different, you just feel a bit silly saying, well, I've got period pain. I feel really awful because so does everybody else, you think, in your head. But actually period pain, to the extent that endometriosis sufferers have, is not normal. And that's what we need to understand and help each other with, I think. And even if you have period problems and you don't have endometriosis, I still think that we still should feel like we can have that conversation. It doesn't have to be endo, but the fact that our periods might be bothering us and we might need to take a day off or, you know, leave work early or whatever it might be, we should feel okay with having that conversation. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You're listening to Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast about women's pelvic health, hosted by pelvic floor expert and physiotherapist Heba Shahid. Coming up after the break, we'll be busting some myths about endometriosis and look at taking a holistic approach to managing it. something different, have a listen to Two Judgy Mums, a comedy podcast featuring Hen and Bex, who are two busy mums, under pressure and under-resourced, but over-opinionated. When we went to school, oh. we were just fed smog. It was just <laughs> cheese and Vegemite on white bread, constantly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now they're, like, having crunch and snap. What's it called? No, it's called crunch and sip. Crunch and sip? I love it. Sounds like canapes and hors d'oeuvres I know. And champagne. I, have, I have mummy's crunch and sip at 5.30. <laughs> it's a little bit different to theirs. Join Hen and Bex as they trade hilarious war stories from the parenting front line. Two Judgy Mums is the perfect podcast to listen to after the kids are tucked up in bed and Peppa Pig is packed away for another day. Two Judgy Mums. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Mel, can you talk a little bit about what helped you in terms of managing your endo pain? So for me, it was a combination to help my endometriosis of traditional medicine, which was obviously surgeries as well as hormone treatment. So an actual combination of the pill and the marina was personally what helped me get my hormones and endo under control the most from a traditional side. But it was really my life only really changed when I found the alternative and holistic support for endometriosis. So finding out first about some nutritional support which was quite early on in my journey in the UK when it was still very very new I found I found a nutritionist dietitian who specialized in women's health and she immediately got me on a gluten-free diet which back then felt like completely crazy and everybody kind of looked at me at work like was I suddenly a celiac overnight um and to be honest I I didn't feel like that needed explaining um so the nutritional side was a huge game changer for me. Gluten has always been the number one thing which has affected my endometriosis. 
I completely Um, hear you on that. And actually, there has been some research that has come out very recently on the efficacy of a gluten-free diet for endometriosis. And actually, it showed that about 75% of women who have endometriosis will have an improvement in their pain symptoms being on a gluten-free diet. And we know that diet has a massive role on the management of the pain and even fertility issues related to endometriosis because of the function of certain foods in the inflammatory process. And we know that with endometriosis, there is quite a bit of inflammation because of that excess growth. So if we can bring down the inflammation in the body through you know, elimination of certain foods that can be troublesome, then we can have improvement in our symptoms. And actually, there's quite a bit of research in terms of different anti-inflammatory diets. However, there isn't enough research. So we know that women who have endometriosis would benefit from having a gluten-free diet, but also they might want to try and experiment with other food intolerances. So some women, dairy can be really inflammatory. For some women, sugar can be quite troublesome. Soy sometimes can be a bother. So it is really important that women who have endometriosis find their own personal food intolerances, their own personal inflammatory responses, and then target those, you know, by either an elimination diet or, you know, avoiding or minimizing those foods in their diet. And of course, working with a dietitian or a nutritionist can be really, really helpful. Is there anything else that helped you with your symptoms? Yeah, um, loads of different things. It was a combination, kind of a toolkit, if you like, that I created. So there were lots of other things that really helped me. So the gluten was that number one nutrition factor. But as you said, um, all the other areas within dietary um, education really helped me as well. So I found that I needed to think about my dairy and my sugar as well. And I also found it was as much the foods I did eat as the foods I didn't eat. So I really focused on a lot of anti-inflammatory foods as well in my diet to really try and help me. Um, support the inflammation that way so I remember turmeric being for example like a huge game changer for me to incorporate that and I've tried to kind of remember it's as about as much as what I do eat as I don't eat um, to really use food as a medicine beyond that physio and of course through you really really helped me um, acupuncture was another big changer for me um, and naturopathy um, so I saw I've seen a naturopath for a long time and particularly when I was trying to get pregnant naturopathy was a really big help Um, beyond that I guess the other thing I did was look at Chinese medicine as well and found a specialist in that area so I really did kind of a 360 approach to my endometriosis which I found very empowering because it took it away from just the traditional medical doctors and gave me some control over it as well. And it is really important that women do look at their health in that 360 view as well. It's not just surgery that's going to help. It's not just these pills and hormonal treatments. It has to be your entire lifestyle. You know, what you eat, what you don't eat, how you move, how you exercise. One of the things that you mentioned before was physiotherapy is really helpful. And I just want to take this opportunity to mention that there is some research to show that about 50% of women who have endometriosis also have tightness in their pelvic floor, which is where pelvic floor physiotherapy can be really effective. These muscles in the pelvic floor, due to ongoing pain, period pain, pelvic pain, can reflexively tighten and they can cause more pain, in particular sexual pain. And this is actually the time when I see women with endometriosis the most. They come to me because they're having sexual pain. They want to fall pregnant, but they can't because their muscles are so tight and they can't have sex. So yes, fertility can be compromised because of the growth of endometriosis itself, but it can also be compromised because 
these women with endo can't have sex comfortably and so they're not able to fall pregnant from a mechanical musculoskeletal point of view. Did you find that this was the case with yourself as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my endo caused me to have a lot of pelvic floor tightness. Um, And as you said, you can't really comfortably fall pregnant naturally if sex is not easy or comfortable or enjoyable. Did endometriosis affect your fertility in other ways? Well, I think I would probably count myself as one of the really lucky people because I had diagnosis reasonably early and I feel like, especially when I moved to Sydney, my world opened up through my gynaecologist, um, Dr. Jiman Fajo, who really introduced me to this broader 360 approach to endometriosis. Um, so I, I ended up falling pregnant a lot more easily than I ever thought I would. And I feel incredibly blessed by that. Um, but in the run up to that, I really just believed I never was going to fall pregnant. I felt completely overwhelmed by endometriosis and that it really was going to take my fertility away. And it wasn't a simple journey. I definitely had to work towards my pregnancy. Um, but I was very lucky in that I did achieve it. And I think that we should, you know, I think that we should see lots of positive stories around fertility and endometriosis as well. And that if we can get the right diagnosis and the right treatment, then it is possible to fall pregnant, obviously, in some circumstances and others of course there's more complex issues with fertility depending where the adhesions are Um, but I was quite lucky with my pregnancy. You mentioned before that the pelvic floor physiotherapy was really effective can you talk a bit about your experience with physio and how you felt knowing what we do and what had to be done? Yeah of course well I think pelvic floor physio when my gynecologist first recommended it I kind of looked at her like what does that involve I have to do a few pelvic squeezes and that's it right like nothing more I've had enough gynecological examinations thanks I don't fancy anything else and so I was completely in the dark about pelvic floor physiotherapy Um, and obviously you know as a woman I think you can feel slightly overwhelmed it is invasive it is internal physiotherapy but I think we just all have to realise we're all women, everybody is the same and there's experts out there that are trying to help us um, and really just embrace it and go with it and realise that it is a way to help you and it genuinely helped me with my pelvic pain, uh, with intercourse but also with bladder symptoms I was experiencing which were a result of an overactive pelvic floor and then all through my pregnancy as well I developed um, a lot of pelvic and hip pain in my pregnancy and I found that continuing physio through that really helped me to focus on that pelvic floor and I think that was a big cause of a lot of my pregnancy pain challenges as well around my hips. Many of the women listening have probably heard of pelvic floor physiotherapy for squeezing and lifting the pelvic floor muscles and tightening the muscles especially if you have things like incontinence that are bowel control problem or if you're feeling like your bladder's weak but in the case of women who have pelvic pain or sexual pain or endometriosis the muscles are overactive as you mentioned and so what pelvic floor physios do in these cases is more relaxation strategies we actually like you said we do internal examinations and we find that the muscles are too tight and often we will do some release work so internal massage work to bring down that tightness and teach you breathing and relaxation techniques to let go of the pelvic floor. So we don't teach you to tighten and squeeze in these cases. We're actually telling you to do the opposite, to let go and relax. Um, And that can be really, really effective in reducing pain with intercourse and also, as you mentioned, pelvic pain, hip pain, back pain, where the pelvic floor can be the direct cause of these types of pains because of the fact that it's too tight. When it came to these types of pain, did you try anything else apart from physio? I think directly with the overtight pelvic floor, 
physio was the main thing to help me and the other things that I think helped was from a nutritional supplement point of view magnesium was a really great supplement for me for muscle relaxant Um, and I also tried acupuncture which I think had a good effect at different times along my journey but I think physio was something I needed to think about consistently and to think about in my daily life how I could incorporate those exercises into my life to just make everything more comfortable Um, and through my pregnancy as well that was really important for me. The other thing which is tied to physio I'd really recommend is yoga. So I found that yoga really helped me not just physically but mentally as well. But if I did the right yoga exercises and I used to work with a yoga therapist um, that were really tailored towards my issues, it really did help my endometriosis pain as well and was a real kind of complement and extension to the physiotherapy work that I used to do. And I know there are a lot of crossovers. I think I used to come and see you and you'd talk to me about certain poses and I'd say, oh, like I do with my yoga instructor and it kind of all meshed in and worked really well together, which is exactly how... Um, support should work like that it should be all one piece where everybody's kind of working towards the same thing and helping each other absolutely I'm a huge proponent of yoga therapy I'm actually a yoga therapist by profession along with my women's health physiotherapy profession and I highly encourage the use of yoga in women who have pelvic and sexual pain and especially in women who who have endometriosis just to open up the pelvis open up the hips and get things flowing and moving a lot of the time the nerves can get uncomfortable and doing these yoga poses can help lengthen and allow those nerves to slide and glide through the tissues and help relieve your pain as well. Mel, did you try anything else like meditation or breath work to help you with your endo and your pelvic pain? I tried um, meditation alongside to support my endometriosis and to support my fertility journey. I think for me... A lot of it was about mind over matter in terms of helping me handle my pain and accept my pain and work with my pain rather than working against my pain. But also from a mental point of view to help my emotions and help me manage the really overwhelming task that I had in my head, which was to try and fall pregnant with endometriosis. That felt like something I was never going to achieve. And I think I, to be honest, closed my heart to ever getting pregnant in my 20s because after my diagnosis, it was quite simply easier to go, well, you know, I just won't have children. I'll have a career and I'll travel the world and I'll do other things instead. But I think when I got to the point of really being ready to try that fertility journey and ready to sort of face up to the fact that I wanted to have a family and be brave enough to fail, I guess, Um, It really helped me to go into that with a kind of mindful approach um, and to just go step by step and see what I could do and keep my head in the right space, which I believe is really important. So thankfully, you were able to fall pregnant. Can you talk about your experience in pregnancy with endometriosis? Yes. So... Once I fell pregnant, my pain levels really did drop. So I found that during my pregnancy, I wasn't suffering in any of the same ways that I was when I was pregnant. Obviously, you don't have any periods, but the in-between cycle pain, the kind of constant pain I'd had before did decrease. I think part of that was around the muscle relaxant hormone in pregnancy. So the relaxin, I think, helped with some of the muscular issues. So I had a pretty good run through my pregnancy with as far as endometriosis is concerned. I was lucky in that I had a relief from the majority of my endometriosis symptoms, so the pain really reduced. Um, I also found a lot of my muscular issues did help, which I think was a result of the relaxin that comes into your body during pregnancy. So pain-wise, I did pretty well during pregnancy, and endometriosis didn't really bother me too much. In the postpartum period, while I was breastfeeding, I found that my endometriosis was definitely slightly um, in remission if you like I found the pain was much more under control for me my endometriosis really flared once I stopped breastfeeding and the hormones changed again 
Um, that was the time where I really realized that it wasn't over and that there had been so many doctors who I'd sat in front of and said, oh, have a baby. It's a great idea. It'll cure your endometriosis. Doctors that didn't really know what they were talking about, to be brutally honest, and you know, all due respects to them. Because now, 16 months after having my daughter, you know, it, pregnancy has definitely not cured my endometriosis. It's changed it, and my hormones have definitely changed. But I found that as soon as I finished breastfeeding, the change came back and the endometriosis started flaring almost immediately. There's so many myths floating around around endometriosis and a lot of women are often told that pregnancy will cure endometriosis or that having a hysterectomy will cure endometriosis. But the thing is, is that it's this abnormal growth and it's not in the uterus, it's outside of the uterus. So a hysterectomy is not going to cure endo. You know, it's the, it's actually these hormonal changes or these hormonal phases that help to reduce the symptoms that we experience, but it's not a necessarily a cure. I mean, there is no cure, really. You can just manage it with a whole bunch of holistic things that we've talked about. Definitely surgery has its place to excise. So whenever we talk about endometriosis surgery, we are talking about a surgeon who is an advanced laparoscopic surgeon who is trained in excision of the endometriosis, so cutting out the endo, but then having that holistic approach, which you've taken and what I've taken as well, which involves that nutrition, exercise, including yoga, um, pain education, learning about how we can reduce the amount of pain in our bodies using techniques like mindfulness and exercise. And there's so many things that we can do to help manage our pain and hopefully improve our fertility. But to say that there's a cure, yeah, that's not accurate. I agree, Herbert, there's no cure for endometriosis, but it's about education and awareness. And I think if we can understand our condition, we can get ahead of it. And we can definitely change the experience and symptoms that we have, because I truly believe that without my kind of 360 approach, I would be a really different person. And that's the great thing about the awareness that's happening these days is that there is a little bit more awareness about endometriosis. The government recently has committed to a national action plan for endometriosis here in Australia. We know that there are more endometriosis advocacy groups today and even some celebrities have come out with their stories, which has helped spark more conversations. So we've seen recently Lena Dunham, uh, Mel Gregg, Penny McNamee, Emma Wiggle, all of these ladies have come out sharing their stories and I think it's really important that women see that it's something that affects everybody and it, it doesn't matter where you're from, you know, it can affect anyone, it doesn't discriminate. Absolutely. When you think about one in ten women, I would be sure that pretty much every man and every woman knows someone with endometriosis or is sitting right next to someone right now in their office who perhaps doesn't feel like they can tell them that they're suffering. And it doesn't just affect the woman, right? It affects her family, her colleagues, her friends. It affects everyone around you. I agree. I think we need to consider the effect that it has on our partners as well, because it's one thing for us to face fertility issues, but that's something that faces a whole family. And I think it's important to understand the stress that that can build on a husband as well, who's in somewhat uh, an observer in that journey. It's very important to understand that endometriosis affects everybody in the family. Absolutely. Mel, you mentioned before that your endometriosis seems to have flared up a bit after giving birth and stopping breastfeeding. 
The postpartum period can be really tough on a lot of mums. I know this, you know this. And women with endometriosis can have a particularly difficult time because we know that endometriosis is a hormonally driven condition. And we know that a lot of women who have endometriosis can also develop other hormonal issues. So they can have more autoimmune issues. Other hormones can be affected like their adrenal hormones, their thyroid hormones. Women with endometriosis can also have a higher risk of mental health conditions like depression, anxiety and so on. Did you notice anything like this in terms of your other hormones being affected, especially in this postpartum period? Yeah, so for me, I've actually developed an autoimmune disease since having Poppy, um, which just feels like the next stage in the endometriosis journey. And the initial diagnosis felt like just another kind of slap in the hormonal face. But I think it's really interesting to understand that it's actually all related and we can really look at our bodies from a completely... 360 again point of view and just understand how much everything is interlinked so I found um, that the autoimmune disease that I developed affects my thyroid and I understand now that that is very common for women with endometriosis but I had no idea about that after having my daughter I delayed my diagnosis by prioritizing her um, which of course every mother does I think we need to remember to look after ourselves because once we get pregnant once we've created those people the little people the journey doesn't end Um, for our bodies and we really need to remember to look after ourselves in the postpartum period and beyond as well. Even women who don't have endometriosis, we know that they, just being in the postpartum periods puts us at a higher risk of developing autoimmune issues and thyroid issues are huge like Hashimoto's and Graves' disease can really rear their heads in that postpartum period. What are you doing now to help you through these autoimmune issues? So I'm really trying to look at my autoimmune disease the same way I looked at endometriosis and try not to be scared by it, overwhelmed by it. I've got a lot more learnings now in my 30s than the 20-year-old girl that was diagnosed with endometriosis and a lot more empowerment. And I'm just trying to look at it again from a holistic as well as traditional medical point of view um, and to just accept that it's part of my body and it's part of my journey. And I need to really be empowered by that and to take control of it and not be overwhelmed. I needed my moment to cry as well, go, not another one. But now I kind of think it's the time to twist that and go, let's get on with it. And I think we should give ourselves permission to have a little bit of a cry sometimes. Absolutely. And it would be really annoying of me to go, oh, no, I'm just totally positive. No one can be positive all the time. Uh, It took me a few weeks. I needed to be down and sad about it and say I didn't want to have another battle on my hands. I felt like I'd had enough battles. I had a complicated pregnancy and delivery and I didn't want more. Um, but actually, it's really important, I think, to accept it's okay to feel rubbish and then to get on with it as best we can. Definitely. So, Mel, you're back at work now recently. How does it feel to juggle new motherhood with work and your health? Well, after today, I'm very glad to have a nanny who normally has Poppy that I don't have to take her to work every day because I think that would make work a lot harder. Um, So for us, it's been a positive step. Um, It's not without its challenges. I was lucky in that I extended my maternity leave and I took 16 months off work. So I took 16 months off work, which was the right amount of time for me and for Poppy. I felt ready. Well, you're doing a really great job balancing motherhood in this podcast right now. (laughs) I'm not sure how great a job I'm doing at balancing right now, but at least at work, um, my daughter does not come to work normally. Um, So it's been a positive step. I think that there is so much guilt around motherhood. Um, 
that we all have to face every day. We just need to be kind to ourselves. We need to find the thing that is right for us. For me, a balance of working part-time, I hope is going to be right. Um, my daughter's doing really well and being really brave, kind of getting used to being away from mummy some of the time. And it's been good for me to have that mental and social interaction and challenge again. Beautiful. And I think that's the perfect place to wrap up this episode. It's been so wonderful having you here, Mel, with beautiful Poppy. (laughs) So thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast hosted by Heba Shahid, physiotherapist and pelvic expert. If you have a question or a comment, send us an email, podcast at babyology.com.au. And if you think this podcast might help a friend, please let them know. Next time, we'll be talking about dealing with leaks post-birth and recovering from pelvic organ prolapse. I felt confused and I was really angry. I was really angry that, because that's when I actually found out that perhaps it is quite common, but no one talks about it. Women think that incontinence is normal. 